Welcome to Riverside Online. Today we are starting a new series in the book of Nehemiah. It is filled with timeless wisdom for us to learn and use in this season. Hey everyone, and what a strange start to the year it has been. Here we are again dealing with restrictions and with lockdown while we're still trying to pick up the pieces from last year. But firstly, right from the outset, I want to take this opportunity to wish you a very blessed 2021. Now, I know that might sound trite considering the circumstances that we're in, but isn't this what we believe? Don't we believe in the gospel, the God of the resurrection, the God who brings order out of chaos and the God who brings life out of death. And I really believe that the life that God gives us in his resurrected life is the life that we can live today and that really ought to make a difference. And that is why I want to start a new series in the book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament. And let me explain why. As we were leading up to Christmas last year, we were looking at Isaiah chapter 9, where Isaiah was looking forward to the coming Messiah. But as Craig and I were preaching, we were giving some context to the book of Isaiah, where one of the things Isaiah was warning God's people about was the fact that Babylon, this military superpower, kind of like the schoolyard bully in the table of nations, was going to come and was going to destroy Jerusalem. Well, that happened. In 586 BC, the Babylonian armies under King Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, lots of bloodshed, and took so many Jews from Israel into exile in Babylon. So on one hand, Isaiah was warning the people that Babylon was coming. But on the other hand, he was saying, but listen, don't give up hope. Yes, circumstances are going to get incredibly difficult for a season, but God is not yet done with us. God is still going to be faithful to his promises. God is going to rebuild his people and God is going to reinstall his kingdom. And so on one hand, yes, things are going to get tough. On the other hand, God is still at work. Now, about 45 years later, another big military superpower, Persia, came in and they took over Babylon, including all of their territories, which included Israel and Judah. And what this new king started to allow was the Jewish exiles to go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding what had been destroyed. There were various key leaders involved here. There was Zerubbabel who oversaw the rebuilding of the temple. There was Ezra, the priest, who oversaw the spiritual renewal of God's people. And then there was Nehemiah, the governor, who oversaw the rebuilding of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so as we look at this book, we're going to see how Nehemiah shows leadership and faith and courage and rallies God's people around rebuilding what was destroyed. Now, doesn't that sound like 2021 to you? The fact that we have an opportunity to, yes, recognize that we have come through a season of chaos and destruction and rubble. In many ways are still there. And yet we get to rally around participating with what God is doing as we rebuild ourselves and reorientate ourselves around God's kingdom. But this isn't always how we respond. 
If I look at social media, if I look at how people I know have responded, or I look at just generally how God's people around the world are responding, on average, we tend to see two different responses, where the one response is almost like a hyper-positive response, and the other is a hyper-negative response, where the hyper-positive response is kind of in the name of faith, but man, we're covered by the blood of the Lamb, and God is on our side, so we don't need to worry about viruses, we don't need to worry about lockdowns and God has got this and all we need to do is say the magic prayer and we're going to be okay. It's kind of like a form of denialism and yet on the other side we see those who focus on the negativity exclusively and I've got some compassion for that because there has been some incredible difficult things that have come your way and have come the way of many of God's people. And yet for so many of us, we're focusing exclusively on the negativity that we fail to see God in it. We fail to allow God to grow our faith. We fail to participate with what God is doing. And so while this hyper-positivity leads us to deny some of the negative things around us, the hyper-negativity leads us to to deny some of the good that God is doing in the middle of this and that God is still faithful to His promises. But when we come to the Scriptures, in the book of Nehemiah, and throughout the whole Old and New Testament, we see almost like a, a realism on one hand, where God's people need to recognize that we do live in a difficult and painful and fallen world. In fact, most of the Old and the New Testament was written during times of challenge and conflicts. And yet, on the other hand, God's people are called to build, to recognize the rubble and the chaos, but to also recognize who God is, that He is faithful, and that He is still bringing His kingdom. And we're hoping that the book of Nehemiah is going to help us do exactly that. So let's turn to the book of Nehemiah, and let's look at these opening verses and see how God's Word can encourage us this morning. Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to read just the first few verses today. So the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Now, Nehemiah was one of the exiled Jews who was now a personal assistant of this strong, powerful king. Meaning he was living in the lap of luxury. He was surrounded by everything he ever wanted and everything he ever needed. And yet he hears this news about what is going on in his homeland and how his own people are struggling. You see, the exiles who had gone back in decades earlier had been unsuccessful for a number of reasons in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now, just think about how Nehemiah is feeling when he hears this news. He's thinking, guys, it's, it's been enough time now. By now, we should have rebuilt the wall. What's going on? Life should be back on track by now. We should be back to normal. And yet, they are not. Doesn't that sound familiar to you right now? 
when I don't know what expectations you had for 2021. I don't know if you, like me, had this kind of naive little hope in you that by the time we get to 2021, we would have turned the corner and we would be back on track. I mean, 2020 was tough for every single one of us. It was tough for us as a church. I know when all of this started, I was worried and in many ways I'm still worried just how can we continue to be the church. And I don't only mean Sundays and life groups gathering in homes, but I definitely include that. But how can we be God's body, His presence here on earth? How can we remain connected to one another, serving and loving one another? How can we be God's visible presence in this world? And what's going to happen when we realize sleeping in on Sundays is preferable to doing church online? What are we going to realize that uh, as we lose touch with other people, we actually choose to stay that way? And, and, And so I get worried and in many ways still wonder what is going to happen to us as a church. Now that's just us as a church. You have been wrestling with those very same questions with regards to your life, your livelihoods and your families and your businesses. Now I know that the second wave is hitting a lot closer to home for many of you. Some of you have experienced the hole that this virus brings into your bodies into your families into your businesses we are struggling for our lives we are struggling for our livelihoods it is still wrecking havoc in so many ways and i'm pretty sure we're feeling the very same things nehemiah was feeling how is it that we're still here how is it that so much time has passed and by now life should be back on track by now we should be back to normal and yet We are not. And so what is the first thing Nehemiah did when he heard this news? Well, as we see here, he sat down and he wept. He sat down and he wept. Now, before I continue with this theme, I I want to just let you know where we're going in this book. What we're going to see is that Nehemiah gets up from this posture and he gets down on his knees and he prays. An incredible, desperate prayer asking God to move and to act. And just as we as a church journey through this, to give you a heads up, we're going to be starting our week of prayer and fasting next week. You'll be getting more information about this as we look at this prayer of Nehemiah and you pray it for ourselves as a church. But Nehemiah moves from weeping and sitting to to praying desperately. And then he acts. He acts with courage and conviction and incredible faith. And then he rolls up his sleeves and he gets involved. We see Nehemiah demonstrating incredible leadership. We see him facing down opposition with wisdom and with courage. And at the end of the day, we see him being successful in leading God's people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had started in rubble. But he starts off with sitting down and weeping. And so today I want to spend the rest of our time together speaking about the gifts of lament. The gifts of lament. And this is so much more than saying that it is okay to be sad, which it is. But recognizing that maybe as we learn to lament and as we learn to express 
sorrow well with God and with others. Maybe we can see it as a gift from God that allows us to process this well, that allows us to move towards God in faith. And it's actually going to move us towards prayer and dependence and ultimately to action and faith and conviction, right? Some of you might be saying, but Stephen, this isn't exactly the encouraging sermon we were hoping for at the beginning of 2021. And I want to say, just hang on, hang on, see where we go today, but also see where this leads us in the rest of the book of Nehemiah. See, to lament is to passionately express grief or sorrow. To passionately express grief or sorrow. And I think there are a number of reasons why you and I struggle to lament properly. I think one of the reasons is we were taught not to express grief or sorrow. We were taught not to sit down and weep. We were told babies do that. And as you grow up, well, you need to grow a thick skin or you need to put on your happy face or you need to show your strength. But whatever you do, don't express your grief or your sorrow. I think that's one reason. A second reason for us, especially as people of faith, is that I think we wrongly believe that if I passionately express my grief and my sorrow, that somehow I'm demonstrating a lack of faith in God and that God is going to not be pleased with my response to him. I think a third reason why we struggle to lament properly is because just Quite honestly, people, society and culture don't know what to do with our sadness. We've got an unhealthy stigma around depression and and maybe even our own family and friends don't always know how to respond to us well when we are sad. And so what do we do? We don't show them that side of our lives. So this has worked against us because we haven't known how to lament healthily. These emotions don't just magically go away. They, they tend to stay within us and they tend to get twisted and come out in twisted ways, often in anger. Maybe you've seen this or experienced this or even been part of this on social media. Whereas people of God, maybe you've seen something or heard something that rightfully should cause you concern. And that rightfully could, should cause you to, to be sorrowful and to lament and to turn to God in prayer. But because we don't know how to do that, we respond in anger. But maybe if we learned how to lament well with God and with people, we would be a better witness in this world. Dan Allender is a prominent Christian author and a therapist. And th- this is what he has to say. He says, Christians seldom sing in the minor key. We fear the somber. We seem to hold sorrow in low esteem. We seem predisposed to fear lament as a quick slide into doubt and despair, failing to see that doubt and despair are the dark soil that is necessary to grow confidence and joy. To sing a lament against God in worship reveals far, far greater trust than to sing a jingle about how happy we are and how much we trust Him. Lament cuts through insincerity. It strips pretense and reveals the raw nerve of trust that angrily approaches the throne of grace and then kneels in awed, robust wonder. We actually have an entire book of the Bible dedicated to lament. It's called the book of Lamentations. 
written by Jeremiah. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 19. He says, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. About a third of the Psalms are laments. Listen to what David says in Psalm 6, verses 3. He says, I'm worn out with groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and I drench my couch with tears. As I was writing this verse out, I was thinking to myself, imagine we went away with David and every night we heard him in the room next door crying himself to sleep the whole night. What would we conclude about him? What would we conclude about his mental state? What would we conclude about his faith? We'd probably be concerned. We'd probably think there's something wrong with his faith. And yet we know that David was a man of faith, a man after God's own heart. We see lamenting in Jesus. We see him weeping when he lost his friend Lazarus. And we see him weeping over the rebellion of Jerusalem. And so what if instead of bottling up our laments, what if instead of letting it get all twisted inside of us, what if instead of lashing out with anger the next time something irritates us on social media, and what if instead of pretending that everything is okay, or instead of believing that sorrow means that you have lost your faith in God, what if God wants you to bring your sorrow and your grief to Him? What if He wants you to healthily express your loss and your grief and your sorrow? What if God wants to lead you in faith and meet you in prayer and move you towards passionate courage and faith and conviction? But what if it starts where it started with Nehemiah, but just getting honest with our situation and sitting down and weeping? Let me give you an example from the New Testament where we see Jesus responding to how some people were grieving. In Luke chapter 24, we see two disciples and they're famously walking on the road to Emmaus and they're lamenting, they're grieving. You see, Jesus comes alongside them and they don't, they don't recognize Jesus at first. And Jesus says, hey guys, I see you, there's something wrong. What's going on? And, and they start pouring out their grief. They start explaining that they had placed so much hope in this man, Jesus of Nazareth. That they had trusted that he was the God-sent Messiah and the King and that God's kingdom was here. But the Romans crucified him and they were torn apart because of that. They even said, yeah, some people are saying that he's still alive, but we really don't believe that. Now, imagine you were there in that situation. How would you tend to respond? We tend to want to fix things quickly, right? Imagine you were Jesus. Maybe most of us would have said, Hey guys, you're concerned that Jesus is still dead. Well, guess what? I am He. But that's not what Jesus did. What did He do? Well, He continued to journey with them. He continued to hear them out. He continued to allow them to pour out their confusion. Then he opened up the scriptures and just showed a perspective that God has on the situation. And then he joined them as they reached the next town and he went in to have a meal with them. And then something very strange happened in that moment. Luke 24 verses 30 says this, And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And this is so important. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. 
Just notice how Jesus showed this incredible capacity to not shortchange their journey. To not just come in with a quick fix. Jesus showed this incredible capacity to walk with them as they unburden themselves. To hear their sorrows and to receive it and to respond with empathy and with wisdom. And yes, at the right moment when he knew that this is what they needed to open their eyes so that they could see the Jesus who was always there with them. So maybe you feel like you just want quick answers. But maybe Jesus knows that what you really need is to lament and to come to him with your sorrows and to come to him with your grief and to pour out your sorrows upon him. And then, yes, he does want us to get desperate in prayer and he does want us to roll up our sleeves and he does want us to act in faith and he does want us to show courage and he does want us to face down opposition and he does want us to see the victory that God wants for us in our lives. But maybe it starts here. Now, I don't want to manufacture any sorrow in your lives. But what I do want to encourage you is as you speak with your family, as you speak with your spouse, as you possibly do um, life groups online, which I strongly encourage you to do. So you've got people around you walking this journey with you. I want to encourage you to maybe speak out your lament, to maybe speak out some of your grief, speak out some of your sorrow. I want to encourage you to maybe bring it to God, to maybe journal it and to maybe itemize. God, here's what I've lost. Here's what I am grieving. And to not have any fears that God is going to reject you and to interpret that as a lack of faith. I also want to encourage you to not be afraid of these emotions, but not to be afraid of others' emotions as they maybe express their grief, as they express their sorrow, so that you, like Jesus, can also walk this journey with them. I want to end off with a quote by the late Eugene Peterson, who sums this up so well, where he says, Pain isn't the worst thing. Death isn't the worst thing. The worst thing is failing to deal with reality and becoming disconnected from what is actual. What I do with my grief affects the way you handle your grief. Together we form a community that deals with death and other loss in the context of God's sovereignty, which is expressed finally in resurrection. We don't become mature human beings by getting lucky or cleverly circumventing loss, and certainly not by avoidance and distraction. Learn to lament. Learn this lamentation. We're mortals after all. We and everyone around are scheduled for death. Get used to it. Take up your cross. It prepares us and those around us for resurrection. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that we are allowed to take stock of what we've lost. We are allowed to express sorrow. This is not an act of faithlessness, but rather an act of faith. God, we thank you that you are concerned with our emotional well-being. But you also allow this to turn us towards you in faith. So that we can move forward as we trust you. Father, thank you that this could be so healing. Thank you that we see this in Jesus. And we also see how Jesus responds to our laments. 
And thank you, Father, as Eugene Peterson reminds us that ultimately we can be confident in the resurrection. We can be confident in the God who gives us resurrection life, bringing order and life out of death and chaos. And God, with this, we trust you with this coming year. Amen. That's it for today. Thank you for joining us. Please continue to worship with us each week online until we can be together again in person. And do connect with us. Let us know how we can help you, how we can pray for you. See you next week. Bye.